0: Holy fuck, I already love this podcast! So began one Benny Baskett's review of this show, and we're massively grateful for it. Thanks Benny, you're a star. Is it too late to warn listeners that we're prone to the occasional bit of swearing? It's not big, it's not clever, and it's definitely not suitable for children. But Benny likes it. And this here, what you're listening to now, is the first episode of Season 3, in which we're joined as always by some incredible guests to talk about some great records. If you're new to these parts, let me explain what we do. We listen to entire discographies and then talk about them. The show is formatted around a series of album introductions by a guest curator and followed by an in-depth discussion that may occasionally spin off in unusual directions. If you follow the link to the Spotify playlist version in the show notes, you can hear the show cut together with a selection of the songs we're talking about. It's far and away my favourite way to listen. You'll find all this together with seasons 1 and 2 at tempfans.com Like, subscribe, or shower money on our shiny new Patreon and enrich us beyond our wildest dreams. But not right now, obviously. Now we have more important business to attend to. Cardiff Noise Rockers, McCluskey.
1: Hello there, welcome back to Temporary Fandoms season three. Sweet Jesus. Um, I'm Ewan. I'm Nick. And um, yeah, we've got. I mean, I was gonna use the word humdinger, but that sounds awful. Um, we've got what I think is a great season ahead, and we've got some great episodes. Um, a few bits of admin before we start. Um, there's a Patreon. Yes, there's a Patreon, which hopefully will look better than it does today by the time this episode comes out. um, you can I'll go ignore it, it for you, you Ewan. <laughs> you can ignore it if you want. You're still going to get these episodes. There's going to be no changes, but there will be some bonus stuff over there. Uh, go and have a look. The links are in the, the places and the things and the whatnots. Um, okay, so... The last season ended with a fantastic episode about ESG. We revisited the, the pilot episode and please go and check that out and check all the other episodes if this is your first one. Joining us for the first time, um, host of my teenage band podcast, um, Nick Taylor, whose internet is slightly shoddy and hopefully he can hear me. Nick. I, I- can hear you. Yes. Hello. Perfect. Welcome. Um, we'll have a bit more of a chat later, but, and we'll put the links to Nick's podcast in uh, the doobly doo. Um, as you can remember, in the, the, the last episode, we were joined by Zoe Von Hess, uh, Sharia Moore, and Christopher Whitby. We then locked up Temporary Fandom's towers and went home for, for a month. And we're just reopening it now to see what mess we left inside. And oh my God, Sheree, Chris, you're still here. It's like <laughs> hey, we're never in a way. <laughs> Hello.
2: Squatters. We're squatters we in Temporary Found Residence. Punk
1: yeah. squatters. Hopefully, the vending machine hasn't been touched. Um, So, Cherie's back. Chris, you're back. You have been on multiple times, and this time we're actually giving you the reins. Who are we going to be talking about today?
2: In this episode, we're going to be talking about uh, McCluskey. So, we're going through four. So, we've got the first album, uh, My Pain and Sadness is More Sad and Painful Than Yours, which is a very long album title to remember. McCluskey Do Dallas, great title. Uh, The difference between me and you is that I'm not on fire. Another mouthful there. And uh, finally, uh, the compilation album, "Mccluskism," which I do quite struggle to say sometimes. So I'm glad I got that in a first go.
1: Perfect. Thank you very much. Um, as, as an aside, when, when we sort of set this up, I genuinely had no idea who McCluskey were. And I have in my head jokingly referred to them as McFly a lot. Well, um, the next voice you're going to hear, listener, will be Chris talking, uh, talking you through those albums. And we will all be back in a bit.
2: There are two constants in the history of McCluskey and Future the Left. Firstly, their singer, and most well-known member, Andrew Falco Falcus, and the second, a belief from fans that they should be, and should have been, much bigger. For me, they have been a concert in my life for nearly 20 years, from first hearing McCluskey late night on the radio, to booking tickets recently to see the anniversary shows for McCluskey Do Dallas. McCluskey are a band that longtime friends and I adore, and when I met my wife, one of the first bands I introduced her to was Future The Left, and we've gone on to see them live together many times. When I was in a band at university, Future left one of the first gigs we saw together. They are bands I love, bands I tell people about, and bands I fragrantly ripped off when trying to write songs. Across their albums, they are well known for their lyrics, which draw on surrealism, pop culture, and everyday observations, and their live shows is something to behold. I look forward to hearing what everyone thinks. The story of these two bands started in Cardiff in 1996 when Falcus, along with Matt Harding and Garant Bevan, formed Best. They would record one EP, titled Benedict, with Bevan leaving soon after. Falkus and Harding would go on to recruit a new bassist, John Chappell, from local band Myrtle. The three would record one EP, called Huuno, before in 1999 changing their name to McCluskey. I'm not entirely sure why the name was chosen. In 2000, the band released their debut album, the brilliantly titled My Pain and Sadness is more sad and painful than yours. The album had two singles in advance, which are both great, Joy and Rice is Nice and unusually, both songs come in in under 70 seconds. And like everything else from McCluskey and Future Left, this is the only album I didn't hear when it was released, but heard it after discovering them through their second album. It's also the album I've listened to the least over the years, so it was great to revisit it properly recently. I had a really mixed response when I first heard it, as it felt quite raw and abrasive, but I've grown to enjoy the fuzz and noise of it now. Also, having not heard it when it came out, it's hard not to see it through the lens of what would come next, something which I think is unfair. The album does have a lot to like though, and I think that tracks like Rock Vs. Single Parents and World Cup Drumming give a good indication of the sound that would be integral to the albums that followed. Importantly, it introduced the lyrics and humour that would become associated with the band. Overall, it has a lot of different ideas competing, which would be refined on the next album. Because Do Dallas was released in 2002, this was also the year I was introduced to the band via John Peel. I was driving home late one night with my dad listening to his show. Lots of songs passed us by, but then suddenly one started with a faster and faster hi-hat, which exploded into a wall of distortion and shouted vocals. I was gripped. That track was lightsaber cocksucking blues. Interestingly, I shared this anecdote on Twitter recently, when the Do Dallas 20th anniversary shows were announced. Falcos replied to me and questioned whether this was the night that Peel inadvertently played the song at half speed. I certainly don't remember that, but maybe memory sped up the track. What I do remember is rushing out soon after to buy the album from Scundot's premier music shop Record village I was hooked from the first listen and now this is one of mine and many other people's favourite albums. I remember a lot of discussion at the time about the fact the album was recorded with Steve Albini at Electrical Audio in Chicago. His production has a real energy to the album and it really feels like you're hearing it played live. Around the time the album came out, the website rathergood.com was also at its height. The site was an early version of the millions of cartoons and memes all over the internet now. Notably, they had a video for lightsaber cocksucking blues, where cats with terrifying mouths jumped out the screen as a song played. I recommend seeking it out. There are too many quotable lyrics to mention on this, and I'd struggle to pick a favourite song. All I know is every time I listen to it, I get the same shot of thrill and excitement as the first time I heard it. The album had a massive impact on the way I play guitar and the way I try and write lyrics, although I can't confess to get anywhere near the magic heard on here. There is no way I can overstate how great this album is. For me, it's an undisputed classic.